I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, May 22nd, 2020. I'm Trey Yanks. There are concerns among the medical community that suicides could increase in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak. This is a very, very difficult time. And if people are finding that they're quite impaired because they're feeling so down, so despondent, they're so anxious, they can't sleep, they're having nightmares, they're losing their appetite, they should reach out, they shouldn't wait because there are treatments available. There is psychiatric first aid available. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. Before we get started today, I'd like to offer a trigger warning. This episode will discuss topics of suicide and self-harm. With tens of millions out of a job, socially isolated, or still locked down, the psychological impact that coronavirus is having on mental health is significant. A new study published shows a potential 8% increase in suicides post-pandemic. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Dr. Roger McIntyre, a professor of psychiatry and pharmacology at the University of Toronto. Starting first in Sweden, where the COVID-19 death toll is spiking. As of Wednesday, the country had more than 3,800 deaths. With a population of just 10 million, that makes the Swedish death toll percentage one of the highest in the world. The Swedish government continues to face criticism for deciding against a countrywide lockdown and not enforcing social distancing rules. Now to Brazil, the worst hit country in South America that is approaching 300,000 cases. The Brazilian government is working to pass a law that would require all citizens to wear face masks in public areas or be fined up to $52. In Brazil's largest city, Sao Paulo, the mayor warned this week that hospitals could soon be overwhelmed if the public doesn't follow COVID-19 safety guidelines. Finally, in New Zealand, officials are considering implementing a four-day work week. The country's prime minister discussed the idea during a Facebook Live event this week, saying it could help reboot the economy and encourage support of the tourism industry. New Zealand saw just over 1,500 total cases of coronavirus and only 21 deaths, with a population of around 4.9 million people. Whether it's a recovering country like New Zealand or a place like Brazil that is in the middle of the outbreak, one common denominator is the mental health of citizens. What we found in our analysis is we found that over the next two years, in other words, through 2020 to 2021, 21 to 22, we are projecting an increase in the number of suicides that will take place in the United States. This is Dr. Roger McIntyre, a professor at the University of Toronto and the author of a new study about suicide in the wake of coronavirus. As a consequence of the COVID-19 situation, I use the word situation broadly because this is not just a viral pandemic. This is a situation that the government has imposed that's caused a massive shock to the supply and the demand of the economy. Translated simply, this means we have significant unemployment and financial insecurity. And it was that observation of both unemployment and financial insecurity that provided the impetus to look at this very question. So you know that for the last 15 years, the suicide rate across America has been steadily increasing. We call that the deaths of despair linked to opioid misuse, as well as alcohol, we now can add to that COVID-19. So it's not about flattening curves. It's about flattening the curves and preventing the new curve, the echo curve of suicide and disorders linked to suicide. Talk to me about the specific situation 
of a pandemic that requires people to stay inside and causes many people to lose their jobs. I imagine this is almost a perfect storm to have people severely struggling with their mental health. You're absolutely correct. This, you, you couldn't have designed a more perfect storm. And really, there are three vectors here. The vector of anxiety. I mean, people are so anxious right now. They've been anxious for a long time with the, the fear of the virus. The second is the insecurity of finance and unemployment. And thirdly, there's the quarantine, stay-at-home orders and being distant from people at a time when stress couldn't be higher. All three of those, by the way, are hazardous to our health. And for me, what has been interesting as an advocate of people who have mental illness is I strongly believe that we should be trying to prevent mental illness as opposed to waiting till it occurs, then we act. I don't think anyone would disagree with me on that. And the notion that you're told to stay at home and in the interim, we're going to destroy your job, destroy your employment, destroy the economy, that doesn't add up to me to be a sensible and coherent recommendation. Now, let's be clear. During the great uh, pandemic that took place back in 1918, the so-called Spanish flu, it was demonstrated that those areas across America that had the most aggressive and uh, most expedient social isolation measures were the, also the areas that had the most robust return in their economy. So absolutely, you, you, you can't contribute to the economy if you're going to die from the virus. You need, in fact, to protect yourself. But the sentence should not end there. The sentence has to balance what is, uh, you know, the imperfect world. We need to preserve people's economic and employment security. Why? It's not about just getting a paycheck. That's a very superficial uh, understanding of it. We know that people, when they lose employment and have financial insecurity, it jacks up the rate of depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, alcohol problems, and suicide. Not a theory. This has been seen during the Great Recession. It was seen during the Asian financial crisis. And it was seen during the Great Depression. I can keep going. This has been a highly replicated finding. So we often say that your health is influenced more by your zip code than it is by your gene code. And what that really means is, is that these social factors are highly relevant. Now, I know some people have mixed feelings about the World Health Organization. I think many would agree that you know, not it doesn't matter what sort of party stripe you carry. I think we all are a little concerned as to how this was handled. But the World Health Organization, notwithstanding, has defined health as physical health, mental health, and social health. So we, we, you, know, you can't just, in fact, say to people, stay at home, and we're going to destroy your life, destroying your job. That makes absolutely no sense. And there needs to be a much more politically bold and courageous approach. And I know that leadership is thin in many parts of the world uh, at the current time. But we need leadership to say, no. Preserving mental health is as relevant as preserving physical health, and towards that aim, we absolutely need people to be back at work. The great vaccine for mental illness is working. I say that metaphorically, of course. It's not literal. And what I'm talking about is the resiliency that having a job provides, social support and financial security. How do you find the balance between reopening, allowing people to go back to work, and ensuring that people are, are able to stay healthy. We do know that the early reports and understandings of hospitals being overwhelmed and 
needing to build field hospitals in places like Central Park didn't actually pan out the way that some experts thought it would. But nonetheless, there are people who are getting sick and there are people who are dying as a result of coronavirus. So how do you find the balance between keeping the general population healthy, but also ensuring that a lot of people aren't dying as a result of suicide, for example? It's a great question, and the key word there is the balance. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as concerned about recommendations to stay home and don't leave your house as I am about some people who think you can just get back to business as usual, waltz through shopping plazas, and as though nothing even happened. I don't think either of those positions is the right position. I think what we need to do is we need to, in fact, have a little thing called evidence and data. And my understanding of how I've been reading the data is that there really are different subpopulations most affected. The nursing home situation is an embarrassment to society, how we've treated these vulnerable people. And look, we're going to have lots of time to discuss nursing homes uh, well after COVID is gone. That's a whole another situation. More than half of the deaths in many states is in the nursing homes, similar here to Canada. And there's other subpopulations most affected. So like anything else in life, when it comes to population health, you need to step up your surveillance for the most at risk. That's just common sense. That's just common sense for population in public health. I think for all of us, though, everyone in society, it would be a mistake to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to just disregard what you're being told. I think people should practice physical distancing to the extent they can. I think where they can't, to the extent that's reasonable, they should put a scarf over their face. I know that we've received so much mixed information at scarves on whether we should wear a face mask that most of us are completely befuddled and perplexed. But I think common sense should prevail. And that is, is that it makes good sense to me that physical distancing, until we know more, wear a face mask, you know, if you can't practice physical distancing. And something you were told as a child, hygiene, wash your hands. Uh, these are things that uh, we were told as kids um, in just common and respectful sense. Uh, and I think that, along with a uh, thoughtful opening up of the economy, makes great sense. And look, I don't think if you walk into a store and someone said to you, hey, we have a pair of trousers that's going to fit everyone in your family, you're not going to believe one size fits all. And I would not think that the recommendation in, in one state would be identical to another state. It's called tailoring the approach. So we need to be thoughtful. We need to be tailored. I think we need to respect the seriousness of this virus. We also need to respect the destruction of human life that takes place by destroying their economic well-being. And that's not an option. So we need to find the balance. You've been listening to Dr. Roger McIntyre, a professor at the University of Toronto. We'll be right back. I know your study looks at the potential of increase in suicides post-pandemic, but when we talk about mental health, looking at the spectrum of, of mental health, you may have people with suicidal ideation, you may have people with depression, anxiety. How should those people who are contemplating suicide or people who are feeling depressed as a result of being stuck inside or maybe unemployed, how should they get help? Where can they go to get help for feeling that way? It's a great point because we don't want people to think that they're alone. We don't want people to think that there's not treatments and resources. And many hospitals around America are reporting a significant decrease in people visiting the emergency room or visiting primary clinics or even, you know, uh, community mental health centers and what have you. 
Uh, we're seeing a significant increase in people accessing crisis lines, 24-hour crisis lines, suicide lines, and we encourage that. We certainly encourage where uh, people feel it's important to them to reach out to peer support. The Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance is uh, a, a very useful advocacy group for people with depression. Uh, people find it really helpful to go to the website. But above all else, look, this is a very, very difficult time. And if people are finding that they're quite impaired because they're feeling so down, so despondent, they're so anxious, they can't sleep, they're having nightmares, they're losing their appetite, guess what? Uh, the clinical community is still open. People are very fearful to go into the clinical community, whether it's primary centers or hospitals, everything else in between. They should reach out. They shouldn't wait because there are treatments available. There is psychiatric first aid available and there's the appropriate treatment for you. And this is something we've got to emphasize. A, services are available. B, they really, really work. And the earlier, the earlier this is detected and nipped in the bud, the better it's going to be. Just don't, don't wait. Go out. And I think I, I've certainly been um, um, really uh, pleased to see that both private and public health care systems are recognizing this echo pandemic of suicide and mental illness. And uh, they're putting a priority on this. And so don't wait. Go out and get uh, the appropriate assessment and where necessary, the appropriate services. Absolutely. Dr. Roger McIntyre, professor at the University of Toronto and the author of a new study about suicide in the wake of coronavirus. Doctor, thanks again for your time. Thank you for having me and thank you for covering this important topic. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.